Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp, here with my co-host, Jacob Rudner. Jacob, we've had uh, another week of spring practice. The team got their first scrimmage in. I know we talked a little bit about things that we wanted to see or hear about sort of coming out of that scrimmage. So we've got a lot to get to today. I think what we'll do in the first half of the show is maybe just tackle some of the the topics, the questions that fans have had, particularly ones that have popped up on the Swamp 24-7 message board as we've sort of been out there reporting on some of these practices. Uh, Jacob, I'll leave it to you. We we talked a, a couple key areas before we jumped on the show here. Which one do you want to hit first? Yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of read actually directly off of our uh, VIP thread from yesterday, Thursday's practice. There were a couple of really good questions. And like you said, I think it's just best if we hit them on the podcast. And the first one that I thought was really valuable was anyone know if Anthony Richardson was shaky last spring with his accuracy? Like, is it just his thing in practice to not be crisp, but he's a gamer and figures it out on Saturdays? Um, do you want to start with that? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, we're going to continue to caveat things with what the media is seeing is, you know, sometimes as limited as a 10 minute window. So we're not seeing a, a whole lot of full on pass skeleton work, a, full, a lot of full on 11 on 11 type team stuff. So we're really limited to Jacob. I think I, I think it's fair to say mostly seeing just quarterbacks throwing routes on air to yeah. running backs, tight ends, receivers through the early portion of practice. And I guess the concern has been. From my standpoint, there hasn't there have been very few days. I would say maybe be two days now out of the eleven practices that we've seen, and obviously one of those was a closed door scrimmage, where I really felt like the passing game was pretty on point. Like there weren't several missed throws that were off target. There weren't drops. Uh, so really, only two out of eleven days, and a lot of that I think points back to the quarterbacks. You know, we we were out there yesterday. Um, there were two throws in the the ten minutes that we saw from Anthony Richardson he just wasn't accurate, missed a corner out pretty badly. And then uh, I know one happened right in front of you sailed a sailed a pass on, you know, a really simple route to the flats for one of the backs. And these are things that we've kind of consistently seen throughout the spring. And I think the question mark is sort of that, that age old question, right? Is, is, do you believe in guys that are sort of gamers and, and when the lights are on, maybe perform a little bit differently or is Anthony Richardson still maybe early in his development and consistency is something he needs to work on. I lean towards the consistency is still a little bit of an issue for now. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that assessment. I would also, you know, to the same effect, I would say that we haven't seen him connect on throws that it shouldn't, I guess, it, in my opinion, it shouldn't matter what point in practice he's at. Like, even if you and I are watching what would essentially be considered a warm up for the quarterbacks. There are throws like you mentioned the one to the flat yesterday. That's not a throw that you're missing at this level really ever. And it was a miss that was pretty notable. Like it wasn't close. Um, and that that's kind of outside the realm of what I would deem acceptable is the word 
I think I would, I would use. However, we did also hear that Anthony Richardson put together a pretty solid day during the Gators' first scrimmage of the spring. So I, I think it's, a, it's kind of a balancing act where we have to calibrate what we're seeing to what we're hearing, plus just kind of understanding that he isn't working against defenders. And I think we talked about this on a previous show where there is a reality in which, you know, like the person who asked that question said, uh, he could just be better when he is playing in game situations and the lights turn on and he's a different quarterback. That exists. It's not totally uncommon either. Um, but I would still say that I, I haven't been impressed at all by the quarterback play this spring. And I don't think that that's an unfair assessment at the moment. I think that there's been a lot left to be desired, even in the brief viewing windows that we've had. And, you know, based on those alone, I think that's going to be one of the bigger topics to follow when we're at the spring game is to see yeah. when we're watching him in game-like scenario when the lights are on in front of fans. What does it look like? That's probably question number one going into that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's important that to, to mention with Anthony Richardson, right, is number one, when we came into the spring, we weren't sure how much he was even going to be able to do coming off that meniscus right. operation, right? And so uh, from, from a positive standpoint, he's been able to get a lot more work in, and that can only be a benefit to Florida. On the flip side, we don't know if that is still impacting him to, to some degree, right? And then the other thing is, I, I do think the argument for sort of being a gamer, we saw that at times last year, right? Like against USF, against FAU, we saw the, the big explosive plays. But we also saw it against LSU in that second half when, you know, you're sort of playing fast and free and you're chasing a game. He was making some serious high-level throws in that game and, and was, was hurting the Tigers with his feet. So, I think you've seen enough of the sample size against even quality competition that, you know, fans are going to push back a little bit on maybe the idea that he's still inconsistent a little bit just because they've seen him perform at that top high end. I think the, yeah. the important thing is we saw a small sample size from him in games last year. I mean, he only right. started one game and it was the Georgia game. And that game was, you know, obviously he was thrown into a kind of thrown to the wolves there, you know, against one of the nation's best defenses, but it didn't go well. And so that needs to be part of the consideration too, is, you know, let's, let's make sure that we're giving the full framework for what's happening, right? Yes, we're only seeing 10 to 15 minutes in some of these spring windows. But like you said, some of them, like I, I've been around enough football practices to know it's, it's a little bit of a concern when you see some of the types of throws that are being missed, like you said, without defenders. So let's, let's shift a little bit, Jacob. I know that one guy that you've been very impressed by is running back, uh, Lorenzo Lingard. He's a guy yeah. that is, is a huge fan favorite, former five-star, had a, had a pretty significant injury at Miami that kind of side sidetracked him there and took a little while to recover at Florida. To this point, I guess the question for Florida fans is, was he a victim sort of of this coaching staff under Dan Mullen that really prioritized seniority, that prioritized, hey, you have to be able to pass protect before you get on the field? Um, was he a guy that maybe has more talent that, that should have been playing that now is going to have this breakout opportunity. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because I, I do agree with your assessment. He certainly looks the part. Yeah. I mean, he, he has put together what I would go as far as to say is a five-star spring. He, he has practiced like a five-star recruit uh, between the demonstrations of speed of the quickness and changes of direction uh, and his ability to catch the ball. I mean, yesterday alone, we saw two catches that, I mean, were really good, uh, immediately earned the praise of running backs coach Jabbar Jaluk. Uh, and so, yes, standout spring, 
uh, without a doubt. And I will also comment on one of our, uh, another question we had on our board was about uh, his ability to make jump cuts because uh, earlier on in the spring, it was reported that he was struggling with those while there were other running backs that were able to handle them much better. And, you know, just with the style of offense that Billy Napier runs, that is going to be important. Uh, I would say that, first of all, as we touched on in, in the portion about Anthony Richardson, we're not seeing a ton. So really evaluating uh, individual things like jump cuts and, and specific types of moves. Um, I don't know that we've really had enough access to be able to confidently evaluate those things. That said, from what we have been able to see, I have been extremely impressed just with his ability to change directions in general. And, and again, like, let me emphasize that that is a very general comment. That is based off of 15 minutes, uh, watching closely, of course, but just uh, it isn't a, a complete picture. However, the comments from sources who are at practices and speaking to us and giving us an understanding of what's happening when we're not there have backed up our observations with Lorenzo Lingard. Apparently, he has been uh, a consistent figure for this backfield. He has been somebody that has demonstrated these skills that we've touched on in our practice reports uh, behind closed doors. It doesn't turn off when we leave. It isn't limited to just skill development, and I think that's really important too because that seems to have been uh, kind of a concern for Lingard. Is, is this a guy who's really a, 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 somebody who can put together a great skill development period and does amazing in drills? But the second you put him in a game type scenario, it all kind of changes and he becomes discombobulated. That hasn't been the case, according to people who have been at practices when we are not. So that's another storyline to follow, I think, when we get to the spring game is how does Lorenzo Lingard look in game situations uh, with a defense that's tackling in front of him so far from what we've heard, including one scrimmage. And we'll have another one tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, it's been really good. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it does seem like there's a lot of pushback on like, you guys are only seeing 15 minutes and, and that's fair. Like that's totally fair. Right. But I think when we do have some of these opinions and, and we tell you a little bit more, it is important to realize guys, we're not just talking about the 15 minutes. We are also talking to people behind the scenes that are at these practices and scrimmages. And when it doesn't jive, we'll tell you that. But I, to your point, I think Lingard has been a guy that is certainly impressed and Jacob, from, from an update standpoint, from where we were when we last recorded an episode, he's got a real chance, I think, potentially to take advantage of some other guys being maybe a little bit banged up. Because yeah. right now, Lorenzo Lingard is the only running back that we've seen that's not working in a non-contact jersey for the last two or three days. Um, right. I, I think Florida's being cautious with injuries this spring. That's very much my sense, especially at some of these positions like running back where you're already, you know, from a body standpoint, you only have four guys, right? Um, and they'll add, you know, Etienne, obviously, in the summer. But, uh, you know, I don't know if, if Demarcus Bowman is, is a little bit limited, if uh, who's the other running back, Montrell Johnson, if he's a little bit limited in the scrimmage on Saturday, this could be the opportunity for Lorenzo Lingard to continue to establish himself as maybe even the lead back at Florida coming out of the spring. So I, he's a guy that definitely, I think, going into that spring game, I think every fan should kind of have their eye on. Um, Jacob, another guy that I know that fans were really interested in this spring, and I guess, you know, from an update standpoint, uh, Kamari Wilson, he's back out there at practice. Uh, I don't know that we've seen a ton from him, um, but what are your expectations for, for, I guess, him as a player? What can he show and, and how much does it help that he's one of the three early enrollees uh, kind of getting to go through at least some of spring? Yeah, I mean, early enrollment is a massive advantage for anybody who's able to do it. I mean, it, just to put yourself in front of coaches, especially after a coaching change where everybody kind of has, uh, it's, a, it's a clean slate 
everybody's at level playing field for the most part with new coaches. If you're a talented player, you have as much opportunity as the next guy. And Kamari Wilson fits, fits that bill. I mean, this is a former elite prospect. This is a guy who has the potential to, to contribute right away. Um, I think that it's a benefit to him, obviously, to be out there right now. I would say, though, that there is a factor to which it might be a little late. Um, we have seen him participate in two practices, and neither of which he was really a full go. One, he was in a non-contact jersey, and then we saw him out of a non-contact jersey yesterday. But it wasn't; it didn't seem like anybody was really in full go mode yesterday. Yeah, I, I mean, before our observations, before a scrimmage. Yeah, it's be it lighter. was a slower practice in general, um, at, like you said, as to be expected. So that's one practice in a, in a non-contact jersey. That's one pre-scrimmage slower-looking practice. We're going to have to find out how much he participates on Saturday. That'll be something worth following. And then he really only has next Tuesday, and then it's spring game time on Thursday. So I think that in terms of being able to showcase himself to the new coaching staff, and by the way, Patrick Choney, uh, Florida's defensive coordinator, is the safeties coach, so it would really have been a benefit to him to be out there the entire time. I don't know that he's really going to get that same benefit as another early enrollee would have. That being said, it's it's better to have something than nothing. And I think that he is going to be able to at least put a little bit of practice film out there for his coaches. He is going to be able to work with some of his teammates, particularly the guys who are older already on the roster, a little bit you know, before spring ends, and that's important. And then we'll just see what has to happen over the offseason in terms of continuing to recover from whatever it was that was ailing him, getting bigger, getting stronger, working with a very detailed weight program that we've heard a lot about this spring and then seeing where he's at in the fall. So nothing spectacular here, no real takeaways based on performance just because sure. it's been too limited, but it is important and it's a good thing for him that he's out there at this point. And I know you've been sort of focusing on that participation report, guys that are out there in, in non-contact. And not that I haven't, but who are some of the other guys? I'm trying to think. Lloyd Summerall, I think, is now back out of the non-contact jersey. Yeah. Um, who else only, do we got? The only guy, I mean, so we have the three running backs, like you mentioned a second ago. Those guys are in non-contact jerseys and were not previously. Uh, obviously, tight ends, super thin. Nick Elksness, uh, Jonathan Odom, they're out. Uh, both have shoulder-related injuries. Uh Trying to think who else is out. Perkins is the only Jadarius person. Perkins yeah, Jadarius Perkins is the only person who we do not see at practices at the moment. Uh, he has been out now for for some time. We don't obviously know why. Um, Florida has been pretty uh, sealed up when it comes to injuries this spring. They don't talk about them. It's not really something that's uh, brought up at all by Billy Napier. I mean, it has to pretty much be asked about. Um, so we don't know why uh, Perkins hasn't been there, but he's not. Lamar Goods was out briefly. He's back. Uh, you mentioned Summerall is out of a non-contact jersey. And I think, oh, uh, Trent Whittemore is, has been out of a it's non-contact a jersey bit, yeah. now for a couple of practices, which is a good thing for him, especially just you know given the depth of that position. Uh, and that's really all that comes to mind at the moment. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. but No, I think yeah, running back and tight end, the two that obviously stick out. And running back, I don't think any of those injuries are, are as serious, it would no. seem. Um, I do think tight end, uh, you know, I wrote about this yesterday. I think uh, Dante Sanders can be a factor there even into the fall. And, and we talked to William Piegler yesterday and he made it sound like, you know, he's a guy that will play at tight end in the fall. That, that, that position switch seems fairly permanent at this point. I feel pretty comfortable saying Griffin McDowell is kind of just there for a body right now. Um, I have you know, a feeling that's the case. Yeah. And so, you know, Piegler kind of told us they're, they're, they're a little bit limited in what they've been able to do with the tight end position. So, 
that's going to be a spot going forward with, you know, obviously with the importance of that position in the offense that needs to continue to improve. But Jacob, I wanted to talk about in the second half of the show, some of the very interesting support staff characters that we've gotten a chance to talk to, because there's been several, and I've got to be honest, I've been very, very impressed by almost all of them. So let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of these people like Kelsey Gomez, Savannah Bailey, Marcus Castro Walker, just kind of a who's standing out to us right on the other side of this break. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. Jacob, we covered a little bit of spring football. Obviously, there will be a scrimmage on Saturday. Tomorrow, we're recording this episode on Friday. We'll get to that, obviously, in a future episode of the podcast. But I wanted to talk about the support staff because Florida is now at the point where, by my count, they've got 49 off-the-field staffers. And under Dan Mullen, that number was anywhere from 35 to 40, depending on how you classified a few people. So we knew that Billy Napier was going to sort of build this big infrastructure of staffing. It's one thing to hire a bunch of people. It's another to have it structured in a way that's productive to where people aren't stepping on each other's toes or getting in the way. And Jacob, the sense that I've gotten from talking to some of these people in, in these various roles, not many of whom have oversight of interns or assistants themselves, they all have a very particular focus and niche. And it's been really fascinating to listen to some of them sort of explain how they became experts in their, their own little thing and how you know their little piece of the pie that they're responsible for happens. Um, I, I'm curious... We've talked to so many of them that, you know, I, I've i struggled to figure out, like, dude, there's a lot of impressive people there. Has anything jumped out to you in terms of maybe, you know, an aspect of the program that you hadn't considered that surprised you in terms of the level of detail and how much goes into it? Or just, you know, from the, the person standpoint of, you know, 
personalities that seem like, wow, that person's really impressive. I mean, you know, I, I, I had to save myself from, from spoiling my comments in, while we were in the break there. I, I just have been so, uh, you know, I, I try and reserve this word really for instances like this. I, I really have actually been blown away by the level of attention to detail, not only that it has become abundantly clear Billy Napier possesses and he seems to run this operation with, but the shared quality of attention to detail that the people under him have. Like you said, we've talked to a number of off-field staffers at this point and people who really touch on all areas from uh, player development to uh, personal player development. We're talking stuff off the field like uh, business opportunities and life coaching type of things. Uh, we've talked to NIL. We've talked to rehab, uh, like injury rehab type people. Uh, we've talked to analytics. I mean, every single person, it seems like a common denominator has been an extreme attention to detail and an absolute expertise and pride in that expertise in the thing that they're assigned to do. And I'll use Savannah Bailey as an example. Savannah Bailey uh, is one of the leaders of the Gator Made program, which is essentially like personal and player development within Florida's system. And it is uh, trying to get players in front of uh, like business opportunities, life coaching for financial wellness beyond college, financial wellness within college, uh, management of NIL opportunities. Uh, they just took a trip to Atlanta where they got players in front of uh, executives at Chick-fil-A uh, Tyler Perry Studios, the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Hawks, uh, you know, just the her ability not only to explain her role, but to discuss the importance of it, to discuss how they're implementing it, uh, how she utilizes the people around her to be able to do the best job that she can do in her role. It was it was like mind numbingly fascinating and it was so knowledgeable and it came from this place of extreme organization and everything has a common goal here. And it's to create a championship environment at Florida. And every single person who we've talked to has really made that clear. And you asked, I think, who is the standout for you? And I would say that it's really a tie between three people who stand out in my mind immediately when that question's asked among the off-field staffers. Savannah Bailey is one of them. I was blown away by her. Uh, I think that Marcus Castro Walker, whom we talked to yesterday, who's in charge of NIL, his knowledge of it, his, uh, he's, been, he's been basically, in my mind, I look at him as somebody who's been in the NIL space since long before NIL was even yeah. a factor in college athletics. He basically made it clear that this was something that he's been thinking about for years, about how he's going to be able to carve out a role in college football, helping athletes understand NIL, helping communities and fans and boosters come into a space where they can support their program financially in a legal way that basically gets money to athletes in a now permitted fashion. It was, it was very fascinating. And the third person is Ash Pira. I thought he was truly fascinating. He is on the do everything end. He's an organizational person for Billy Napier. He's a liaison basically to high school coaches. He is an analytics guy. Uh, I, I was very fascinated by him and just the kind of the multitude of hats that he wears. But again, it didn't feel disorganized with him. It wasn't, I have a million things going on and I'm trying to juggle all these balls and whatever. It was, I have everything in its space. I know how I need to handle it. And I'm experienced in a way that allows me to do all these things. Some of which you would think have nothing to do with one another. And that seems to really be the case with everybody. So 
I've been impressed with the infrastructure that Billy Napier has put together. I really actually think that it's going to allow the team to operate at a much more efficient capacity than it would have without all these people. And it's really just going to help the athletes focus on playing football because they're surrounded by so many people that a lot of the other things are just taken care of. Yeah. I think that was, you know, one of the comments that stuck out to me was from Vernell Brown is, is, you know, when he was in school and you'd have a coaching transition or something like this, you know, you didn't, you didn't sort of have anybody to, to turn to and, and sort of lean on. It was basically your assistant coach or your teammates. And he made the comment, you know, if you're relying on your teammates for advice on how to best handle a coaching transition, you know, you're listening to an 18 year old, that's the blind leading the blind. Well, now you have a guy like Vernell Brown, who's, you know, in a player development role has been through not just, you know, in college football, but at Florida played for Steve Spurrier, played for Ron Zook, played for Urban Meyer. He's been through it. He's been on the other side when he got hired by Dan Mullen. And so he can kind of ease the transition. But to your point, there's so many people in so many different areas that it feels like, you know, players kind of just walk through the door and then they have access to these resources, right? And I, I think the the resource part of it obviously was talked about a lot when Billy Napier was hired, but seeing it is kind of, it's impressive, man. Like it, it's, you know, I mean, none of that necessarily guarantees that this program is successful or, you know, produces the long-term results on the field that, that fans want. But I think fans are going to be able to be pretty proud of the type of players that are developed here with the, the availability of the resources. Uh, a couple things like from, from what you said, uh, Savannah Bailey, I thought with the Gator made program and, and specifically that trip to Atlanta, one thing that stood out to me was the, the sort of career resource environment she's creating for the players to have access to these professional opportunities. I thought what was really cool is she sort of explained it as they're going to make it a competitive thing too, right? Like I think there were only nine players on this trip to Atlanta. So it was a pretty exclusive event. And when those guys get back and they, you know, they're, they're talking about it and they're sort of raving about what happened, all of a sudden all the, the next guys want to be like, okay, when's the next trip? How can I get in on this? And you start seeing from multiple angles, I think, that can allow players to find motivation in different ways. And I think the same is true of, of Marcus Castro Walker in the NIL space. We talked to him a little bit about that. Um, you, know, you know, I thought it was interesting to sort of be put into the perspective of, you know, Jacob, you and I cover college athletics, right? So we're pretty well familiar with NIL and, and most of the wrinkles. This is what we do on a daily basis. But for the vast majority of fans and the vast majority of fans that can financially support the program, they're probably not as familiar. And so, it, you know, you do need somebody that can sort of distill things down and explain to them, hey, this is a legal avenue now. Like we, we can not pay players directly, but you can get benefits from this, too. You can have closer access to guys like Chief Borders, who maybe is your favorite player on the team. You see him on social media. Well, guess what? You want to get involved in the Gator Collective. You can do that and then have access to these sets of interviews with players to meet and greets, that kind of thing. I, I just thought there, there's just so many different elements and different angles that um, I guess I guess for me, the, the, the most impressive part is that it doesn't feel jumbled or disorganized. You know, I, I go back to it seems like everybody's got their own little piece of the pie and it's a very distinct piece of the pie, but there's also like a ton in that piece. And if you didn't right. have this many people, if you had one person trying to juggle... Gator made and NIL and player, you know, player development. Like that really is three separate roles. And Florida has three highly qualified people running each end of those things. And I, to me, that's what's impressive. Yeah, totally. And I, I, you know, I don't know that we were planning on going in this direction with this podcast, but I thought you brought up something really interesting. And that is the 
very apparent need for NIL support that Florida staffers have done, made no attempt to hide. Yeah. They have made it abundantly clear in the last several weeks, we need support from anybody willing to support in order to remain competitive in the NIL space. And by remaining competitive in the NIL space, you remain competitive on the football field. And I will add to that by saying that there have been several people who I will keep anonymous from within the program who have in no uncertain terms told me that NIL is the future and it is the main path to success in a football capacity. They literally need fans at this point with the direction that college football is headed in. They need fans in order to continue to put the product that they expect on the field. And I find that to be very interesting. I think it's very interesting that there is a world that we're very rapidly diving deeper and deeper into in which the same people who basically demand, and rightfully so, by the way, who demand excellence in their athletic products on the football, baseball field, basketball court, and all these spaces, they actually have a way now to be able to directly contribute to the ability of the team to be successful in the spaces where they expect success. Coaches are not hiding that anymore. Mm -hmm. People like Marcus Castro Walker are not trying to hide that anymore. He explicitly said yesterday when we spoke to him, I know where you're going with we this. We need to educate the entire state of Florida to be able to contribute to the program. And if they're not, you basically can't complain because that's where it's headed. If you want to see recruits end up at universities, it has much more to do with NIL rather than. Well, you're talking all these positive things about the university. How come this kid's not committed yet? I'll tell you why. Because there are a million places and a million dollars of discussion going around your favorite five-star recruit and around your top transfer portal target. And the reason that this person is saying positive things is because he wants to keep the avenue open with Florida and potential opportunities. But I think it's starting to go underappreciated in some capacities just how important NIL is. And I think Marcus Castro Walker did a beautiful job of explaining exactly that yesterday. He basically said, it's not the expectation that every kid is going to get an $8 million deal and we need people to step up to be able to support our top athletes with million dollar contracts and NIL sponsorships and whatever. Not what he said. Yeah. He said, we need to be able to put athletes in a position where they feel like they're getting taken care of because it won't ruin college sports if we're compensating athletes in a way where they feel like it's a job, right? They feel like they need manner. To, right. They need to feel like they need to continue to produce on the, on the field to continue to feel like they need to be a stand-up person publicly to do all of these things in order to maintain the financial support that they're getting. But it doesn't happen if that financial support doesn't exist. And I just thought that that was a really interesting thing worth touching on because again, you know, they basically are asking people who are listening to this podcast to support yeah. in any capacity okay. that you can. And I find that to be very fascinating. Yeah, I know. And it was interesting too. And, and look, there's like, there's a lot of people that have expressed concerns over what NIL could do to college athletics. And I don't think those concerns are totally unfounded. I mean, you know, Marcus Castro Walker brought up that 8 million number several times and, and that can create locker room issues. And we talked to Florida uh, outside linebackers coach Mike Peterson, who obviously played at Florida, was a, a legend here. He would have cleaned up an NIL 
he's concerned about what it may do for people's love of the game. And so it does very much need to be structured in the right way. And I think the teams that can structure it the right way can benefit the most. And I think I, I think the flip side of the argument is I think NIL, because of things like these collectives, not just the Gator Collective, but these things are happening elsewhere in college athletics as well. It can really integrate, reintegrate, I think, the fans, you know, in a, in a way that they have more access to these players. Like I said, meet and greets, yeah. uh, interviews and stuff like that to where it becomes sort of, you know, you feed the beast again. And I think one of the things that has rubbed me wrong about college athletics, and we're, we're getting way in the weeds here, over the last several years is it does feel like, you know, from when I was in school at UF, and, and this may just be me getting older, I don't know, but it does seem like. You know, when Nick Saban took over at Alabama, access slowly started drying up and it just felt it feels like fans maybe aren't as in touch with sort of the player stories, that kind of thing, as maybe they used to be when we could walk out to practice and see most of the whole practice. And then after practice, you're getting an entire position group of players where I can go walk one on one with, you know, Deontay Thompson or, or you know, something like that. And, and you really get in-depth stories. I think what we're seeing now with NIL and these collectives and the interview settings that they're putting some of these players into, the meet and greets, you're seeing sort of that personal connection between fan and program and player reappear. And I think that can be tremendously positive, not just for the product on the field, but for the way that college athletics is different from some of these professional sports, right? There really are unique bonds to the university and ties. And I think when you can put that into sort of a business model of NIL, it seems like a pretty, a pretty good business to me to be in. And I like where it's going from that standpoint. And if I could just add, because I, I think you touched on something that I, I did not mention. And I think it's important because Marcus Castro Walker said it too. Um, there is well-founded concern that exists about whether or not this is going to push college sports into a direction that's going to be, bad for it and it could ruin college athletics and you know it is at minimum going to change it as we know it um i think florida has done a good job based on my observations and based on what we learned yesterday florida has done a good job of kind of putting the brakes a little bit on the nil stuff in order to make it so it might not a cause team issues in yep. the locker room and b like you mentioned there's a world in which, like Mike Peterson said, you're bringing kids into programs for the wrong reasons, or kids are committing to programs for the wrong reasons, which they weren't doing three years ago, four years ago. And one of the ways that I think Florida is at least trying to stop it to the best of its ability is it seems as though there's this commitment to preaching financial soundness, to preaching, here's how you can take care of your money. It's more of a lesson type thing. We're not here to help you become a millionaire. We're here to help you get into real estate was one example that Marcus Castro Walker gave. Yeah. We're here to help you uh, have financial literacy and education opportunities when it comes to just understanding your finances, how to invest, how to save your money. So when it comes time to pay taxes at the end of the year, you're not, you're not scrambling. You're paying money. You're paying taxes with the money you have. So I think that incorporating the educational aspect of NIL is a really smart way to go about this because there is a degree to which that attitude and mentality is going to at least somewhat in the immediacy, like right now, 
curb some of the negative aspects that I think Mike Peterson very reasonably brought up. Yeah. And the other, the other interesting thing is, you know, NIL is still so new that there's different state legislation for different places. Right. right? And so I think one of the reasons Florida's had to be a little slower is Florida's legislation isn't quite as expansive as other states. It isn't, you're not quite as free to sort of directly funnel things. Um, And so Florida's had to build a structure where they really do explain to players and they need the grassroots sort of explanation to the casual fans. Hey, you can get involved in this. Um, But at the same time, I think to your point, they're looking at it with sort of this future bent. And one of the one of the things that both Savannah Bailey and Marcus Castro Walker said that I thought was really important. These guys need to look at NIL like a job, right? Because now while it's new and fresh, you might have people handing out NIL deals and not really understanding what their ROI might be, right? Eventually, the more this goes down the road, companies aren't going to be willing to provide NIL deals to players who aren't holding up their end of the bargain. And so I think, like you said, that educational piece of letting you know these athletes know in a very realistic way, hey, here's what you can do, but also don't let that you know ruin your focus on the field because ultimately that's going to provide a big boost to you as well. And make sure you're fulfilling these obligations that that you're agreeing to on deals. I think that's a very sustainable model to where you avoid, like you said, some of the pitfalls that could potentially pop up. Totally. All right, Jacob, let's uh, let's go ahead and call it there for this episode of the podcast. Uh, we got a little bit into the NIL weeds there. I think that is going to be a, a podcast in and to itself sometime this summer when we're in the doldrums because it, it's a fascinating area and there's so many different wrinkles that we didn't even touch. Um, That'll do it for us today on the Swamp 24-7 podcast, guys. Obviously, Florida will be scrimmaging on Saturday. Jacob and I will be reaching out to sources to provide you a full scrimmage report as much as we can get from our sources. We will relay to you on Swamp247.com. So be sure to check it out. Visit the site. We appreciate your support. We'll see you next time on the Swamp 24-7 podcast. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.